0: We move outside our comfort zone and seek new experiences to grow. We find adventure in the epic and the everyday. We travel to broaden our horizons and engage with nature. We are most at home in remote landscapes and faraway places, but never far from our community of passionate dreamers and wanderers. We are Chaconians. Join the Chacosphere at Chacos.com. Where will your Chacos go? This is The Shorts, and you're listening to The Dirtbag
1: Diaries, a Duct Tape Thin Beer production, with additional support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Patagonia. I wake in sunlight, blinking. It's 10 o'clock. Outside, a lawnmower rumbles up and down the yard. Maybe that's what I should do, I think to myself. I could mow lawns. All I need to do is buy a mower. I'll print out a bunch of flyers, advertise on Craigslist, start up an LLC. I'll need a 401k, I think. What is that, anyway? My mind meanders across the rifts and valleys of my brain, yet I accomplish nothing. By 10.30, I've moved on from lawns to philanthropy. As I hatch a plan to write a Von Chouinard and somehow convince him to buy an enormous tract of land in southern Chile to preserve as a land trust. Realism is not my strong suit. I'm 30 years old and I'm a complete and utter failure. My mom is a PhD astrophysicist. My dad, a PhD mathematician. My sister has a master's in epidemiology. They all have jobs, children, houses. I, on the other hand, Am a dirtbag. Of all the things I could have been in life, this is what I chose. Not satellite technician, professor, doctor, or lawyer, but dirtbag. After graduating college with a bachelor's degree in philosophy, all I had for aspirations was to sleep in the dirt and climb my brains out. For eight years, I did just that, skewing family, friends, girlfriends, and whatever opportunities I had at any sort of minor fortune. Now I'm growing weary and wary. I crave stability, community, a full-time job. After nearly a decade of dumpster diving, van living, and climbing bumming, I'm ready to cash in for a little security. But the more I try, the more I realize that a little security is hard to find. I finish up my email to someone who works for Mr. Schwinnard and press send. Let's see what they think of that one, I tell myself my eyes pass disconsolately over the contents of my email inbox. With little expertise in this world beyond rock climbing and writing, my half-hearted attempts at landing a job these days come in the form of desperate emails to major players in the industry. Sadly, my email account has become a graveyard for decomposing dreams. Some messages have stars attached to them or eye-catching titles, but the stars are all supernova and the eye-catching titles bob along in the vacuum of space, like cries for help in so many sea-bound bottles. So far, nobody has picked one up. It's noon, and I still don't have any answers. I've got more irons in the fire than a burning golf shop, but everything is cold to the touch. I wait and wait and wait for my big break. Well, for my second big break. The truth is... My first big break already happened. But when the door I've been trying to get a foot into swung wide open and my dream said, "Come on in," I decided to shut the door and walk away.
0: Well, I'd to attention if I thought that you knew i my mouth if I had smart to say
1: Just a few months ago, I was eagerly anticipating an expedition to Torres del Paine National Park in southern Chile. My friends and I had won a Cop Dash Inspire Award in January of 2013 for the trip, and we were psyched. For a burgeoning climber, writer, and photographer in the industry, the Cop Dash Award is the holy grail. At the August trade show in Salt Lake City, my partners and I walked the floor with a sense of importance. We had big meetings with most of the companies I've always dreamed of working for, writing for, climbing for, doing anything for. And we were getting hooked up. All clothes, all travel expenses, the vast majority of our gear paid for. More importantly, we were going to have some backing and media outlets to tell our story. Instant street cred and airtime for any media that the trip would produce. Maybe I could get full-time work as a writer, or better yet, as a climber, or both. The sky was the limit. But then, the sky came crashing down. About one week after the trade show, like a bolt of lightning on a clear blue day, my girlfriend's dad was diagnosed with cancer. We were in shock, to say the least. Kevin's a healthy guy. He eats well, exercises regularly. He's not a smoker or a heavy drinker or anything like that. Before this, I'd never even seen him sick. Why Kevin? Why now? everyone's life changed instantaneously. We bit our nails and lost sleep as oncologists' visits got less and less optimistic. Kevin hated hospitals and had just witnessed the horrors of chemotherapy firsthand as a close friend fought and eventually succumbed to pancreatic cancer. So he decided to forego that treatment and his family backed his decision. Together we spent long hours researching alternative remedies and therapies meditation, major dietary changes, Ayurveda, anything that seemed like it might help. As soon as I could, I moved from Washington State to Maryland to lend my support. At that point, I was still pretty committed to the expedition down south. In October, I flew out to Yosemite for a week to train with my teammates, but my mind was 3,000 miles away. I returned to Maryland just in time for the results of the next scans of the tumors. Megan took the day off work, and we wrung our hands as we waited for her parents to come home from the oncologist's office. The news was not what we had hoped for. The tumors had grown. Megan was a wreck. She and her dad are close closer than most parents and children I know. They work together, travel together, dream together. She calls him her best friend. But when I went out to console Megan as she paced around the backyard, her parents stopped me, looked me in the eye, and told me I had to go on the trip, that it was just too good an opportunity to pass up. They've become my surrogate family and the cheering squad for my far-flung dreams. Although they know how much Megan would need me in this time, they still had my back. Megan told me she just wanted what was right for me, but that only I knew what that was. It'd be a lie to say it wasn't a hard choice. Ever since we first heard about the cancer in August, I had agonized over whether or not to head south this winter. But on this crisp day in early November, everything became crystal clear. The trip to the Torres is a huge opportunity, but there are many opportunities in life. There's just one Kevin. Within an hour of getting the news, my mind was finally made up. The next day, I told my buddies I had to bail. They all knew what was up, so nobody was surprised. Although I know I made the right choice, it's difficult readjusting to the familiar hopelessness and dearth of future prospects. Sometimes I wish I could excise climbing from my brain altogether. Mired on the east coast miles from any rock big enough to cast a shadow, just the thought of climbing can be torturous. And yet ruminating over half-baked plans such as starting a lawn mowing company, it's hard to let go. I can't help but cringe as my dreams, which felt for a brief moment so tantalizingly close, fade slowly into obscurity. So I keep making these last-ditch efforts, sending Hail Mary emails that never get answered. These days I feel like a fisherman at sea with a thousand lines in the water. I can't even see if the fish are there, much less taking the bait. The longer I wait for something to happen, the less I care if it does. and yet. There's a silver lining. I think more about what I can do for the people around me than people in human resource departments I've never met. Instead of dreaming of distant mountains, I spend my time enjoying the beaches and sunsets that make the eastern shore so beautiful. In a twist of fate I never could have predicted, living on the East Coast is forcing me to be more present and in the moment than the climbing life has in years. And while that does not come easily, I think it is making me happy, or at least more at peace. Maybe each door closed is another one opened. Every opportunity lost, another one gained. I am sad not to be heading down to Patagonia this year, but have no regrets. The journey ahead is just as exciting, and frankly, even more adventurous. Each day that goes by, I am reminded that the greatest challenge is not to travel abroad, but to travel within. Not to conquer unclimbed roots on remote walls of sheer stone, but to seek out seldom visited terrain in one's heart, mind, and soul. In short, to push oneself to improve when improving proves most trying. And while they may not be as tempestuous as the Torres, our inner landscapes are just as intimidating, just as breathtaking, and without a doubt, just as rewarding to behold. Kevin Kelly began a rapid decline on the heels of Thanksgiving, the family's most cherished holiday. To a packed house of friends and loved ones, he delivered a pre-dinner toast. We are not defined by the things we do, he told us, but by the places that we occupy. Here in Maryland, surrounded by the love that emanated out from Kevin in every direction, I found that I was occupying exactly the place that I was supposed to. For the first time in a long time, maybe ever. My thoughts and energy were almost wholly devoted to helping others instead of myself. Though Kevin no longer occupies the place he did before, his words are left echoing through my mind. In the small hours of the morning on December 9th, Kevin Kelly passed peacefully out of this world in the loving company of his wife and three daughters. The last days of Kevin's life were the most beautiful ones I have ever seen. His departure occurred exactly one day before my climbing partners left for South America. On his way out, just after leaving his physical body, he turned up the music and shut the window. I love and miss Kevin dearly, yet I take solace knowing that he will always be with us. His proud legacy dances on in the thoughts and actions of those whom he loved so well. My name is Chris Kalman. And this is my short.
0: Thank you so much, Chris, for sharing your story. Our hearts go out to you, Megan, and our family. You can find more of Chris's writing at fringesfolly.com. Music today by the henchmen of school shooting, Not a Surf, Goat Hanger, and Bradley Carter. Music provided by Mevio's Music Alley and by Bradley Carter, who is a friend of the diaries. You can find links to the artists on our website, DirtbagDiaries.com. Support for the shorts comes from Chaco. We are so thankful for their support this past year so that we can tell stories like this. Follow them at Twitter at ChacoUSA or go to Chacos.com to nominate a friend to win a free pair of Chacos. And support for the diaries also comes from Patagonia, who now offer ready-made packets of Sampa soup made from organic grains and vegetables. Order a package at Patagonia.com. Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. And from Kuat Racks, the little company who believe they could make a better bike rack with you, their fellow rider in mind. It's a season, so if you've got a bike rider, go on over to kuatracks.com to check out their selection. This episode of The Shorts was produced by Becca Call, Jen Altschul, and me, Fitz Kahl. You've been listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Happy Holidays.